Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Thunderbolt Podcast. These are the discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting. Well, uh, Timothy, we start off a podcast like this. Here we are. We, um, uh, our, our listeners uh, aren't going to experience it the way we did, um, but we've taken a little break. We were waiting. We took a breath. Uh, and we're back at doing some of the, these recordings. And um, that idea of waiting, I think, is appropriate. Um, so if you're waiting for more content, you're waiting for us to, to come back. We are back. Here we are. And um, we're the Notable Podcast. We've always thought what we're, what we're trying to do is, is to interact with, um, with the words, the texts of the Bible. Um, and you can imagine yourself as taking notes um, in the margin. Like this is, this is how somebody's responding to the word of God. This is how we respond to the word of God. And uh, boy, oh boy, oh boy, do we have a yeah. scripture for you today. We are um, in Habakkuk chapter two. Um, and um, if this, if you're new to the Bible and you're just taking it in, you should know this is a heavy hitter. If you've been engaged in the Bible for a long time, you don't, uh, you might not even know it, but this is uh, Habakkuk chapter two is, is programmatic for all of scripture. It is it's the kernel that gets planted and becomes the the plant that is the book of Romans. And a lot of people say the book of Romans is the most important book of the Bible. This is, this is big. This is way is huge. And with that brief introduction, um, man, we got a lot to say. Um, Timothy, I know you wanted to begin to introduce the specific content. Well, yeah, I, I wanted to just agree with everything that you just said. This is, this is programmatic. This is core. This is at the heart of things. And um, if we could just track where we've come so far, we're, we're coming out of chapter one now. We've listened to Habakkuk's complaint. And we said that it is almost, almost blasphemy. Like he's, he's not in a good spiritual or emotional place. And then we said that the Lord in grace and mercy, he he comes to Habakkuk and gives an answer. And we called it, we call it a rebuke. So we, we talked about how to complain well, what that looks like as a Christian. We talked about how to receive a rebuke well and what that looks like as a Christian. And so if you if you track that logically, you're gonna come to this place of what what happens next? And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, what happens next is waiting. <laughs> and so waiting's this thing that is it's a big deal in the Bible. Like I, I I wanna I wanna elevate that today. Like it's all over the Bible and it is a core message 
um, in in the in the book of Habakkuk. Like if I could if I could take a run at what we're going to look at just, o- over this episode, what what Habakkuk is going to say is, okay, God, I, I heard your complaint or, or I heard your rebuke. God, now I'm going to wait, and then he waits, and there's this gap in between two verse one. And, and two verse two that maybe lasted a really long time. And then all of a sudden God speaks and he says, Habakkuk, I really like your idea. You got to wait. And it's going to, it might seem like a long time, but wait, wow. And so, and that's as far as we're going to get today. Like that, we're just going to cover that piece. So this really is about waiting well. And then if you, if you broaden it outside of Habakkuk, think about the Psalms. How many of the psalmists say, God, I'm I'm waiting for you. I'm I'm waiting in God, my Savior. So like I heard one preacher joke about it this way. He's like, he, he said, We always talk about waiting. And we talk about waiting in God, but nobody knows what it means. <laughs> and so what I'm hoping to do today, Jonathan, is really to open up what it means to wait well. And I want to use metaphors to do that. So um, Habakkuk kind of frames it with the metaphors. He Part of waiting well means that you wait as a soldier, and we'll look at that. And then a, a second thing that, that that waiting well looks like is as a runner, and, uh, and we'll look at that together as well. So as a soldier and as a runner. And we're I think we're going to have a lot to say in just, really three verses. So do you want to lean into that at all, or should we read the verses and get into it? Yeah, uh, I think we should get into it, uh, read it, uh, two verse one, and then leave two verse two to two and three to later. But so here's two verse one. uh, And again, we have to, just to keep this in the the context of, of Habakkuk, here Habakkuk is wrapping up uh, quite a caustic um, attack on on God, on the Lord. He's imagining that the Lord is, um, well, it's all backwards. So his, we looked at that, uh, and and here he's he's composing himself, and he says, "I'm going to wait." And this is what he says: "I will stand at my watch." And station myself on the ramparts, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And so there's there's the verse, two, two verse one. And so there's the metaphor too. And and that's what I want to talk about. Like when when Habakkuk says. And he begins this waiting well. That's what we're going to talk about. The first metaphor that he he reaches for is the metaphor of the military, of of the soldier, of of the night watchman. And I wanna I wanna build on that in in a couple of different ways. So you have to you have to imagine this is what he's saying. He's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna cl- climb out uh, up on a rampart. I'm going to do my duty. I'm going to show up. I'm going to I'm going to do what I'm supposed to be doing every single day, not because I really feel good about it, not because I'm in this good emotional place. 
I'm just going to do it because that's what my what what I'm supposed to do. So you know what he doesn't do is he doesn't become dissolute. He doesn't um, just walk off the job and be like, God, I'm going to wait over here in the bar, you know, while while you're working out whatever you're working out. And what he says is, I'm going to do what I'm I'm going to I'm going to climb up on the ramparts, and he reaches for a military um, metaphor, a, a metaphor that is known for duty. And I want to talk about that for a second. Not, one of the, one of the reasons why I got into podcasting is a series called um, Serial. Are you familiar with that podcast, Jonathan? It was it, it just exploded. Like what was it, like ten years ago, right? And I had a friend share it with me. Okay, yeah, yeah. I listened. I listened to it too. And um, the second season, and I, I think that podcast can help open up what Habakkuk is saying here. The second season was about, I, I believe it was the second season, at least, was about this this guy named Bo Bergdahl. And he was a soldier in, in Afghanistan. And what he did was, is, is he quit. He, he, was, he became, like to use Habakkuk's language, he became a night watchman. And he went MIA. That, that's what the military calls it, MIA, missing in action. Now, this so what the season does is it unpacks the whole story. Why did he walk off the job? Why did he? And then he gets captured by the Taliban for years. And he's brought up on military charges. And it's this, it became this political football. But what becomes clear is the military takes it to the nth degree that if you don't simply stay on your watch and get up on your rampart, you you're you're in big trouble. You didn't you didn't do your duty. I actually looked this up, Jonathan. I looked this up. When was the last time? And I and I don't want to become too morbid here or legalistic. But do you know that the military used to shoot you if you if you walked off the job if you went MIA. If you if you went AWOL is another way of talking about it. In World War II, they they shot a guy for that. And um, I think it, what it shows to you, like in vets, veterans get this. Veterans get this. Civilians maybe don't, but veterans do. Um, soldiers get it. You can't just quit. And I think it's more than interesting that Habakkuk goes for that metaphor well i i i think this is really important right here we can talk about this in terms of the metaphor is so powerful here we can talk about this in terms of of christian callings like god has put obligations on our lives and what i love about this verse is that here uh habakkuk is saying that part of waiting well is what I think of as Christian resilience. Think about it. He, he has just had the announcement from God. Um, and possibly, you know, there's there's questions about this, but possibly has, has, has now felt emotionally and spiritually, emotionally and spiritually, the impact of international war on his own country. A man, you just have to imagine that kind of um, military conflict that he has been through now. And 
the resiliency here is that Habakkuk says, I'm not going to phone it in. I'm not, I'm not checking out. And so here we can see a model in Habakkuk of how to respond to very difficult emotional circumstances with great resiliency. I, I love the idea in, in Christian life that our emotions don't lead us, but instead we lead our emotions, we lead our hearts. And sometimes it is, it is here's a man who's in great spiritual, spiritual and emotional pain. We've looked at that. Um, in, some, in some ways it's crescendoed up to, up to its highest peak here at, at the end of Habakkuk 2, Habakkuk, Habakkuk space saying, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what I'm gonna do with this Lord, I'm, I'm in so much pain. But he says, here's what I'm gonna do with it. I'm not, I'm not taking a mental health day and I'm not, look, I'm not trying to be hard on anybody. This, he's going through it. I'm not checking out. I'm not staying home. I'm going to get up and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. That's what I'm going to do. And we can, we as Christians, even when we're in great anguish, great, great anxiety, great emotional pain, we can say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to wait on God. And I'm going to, I'm going to let him do what he, what he's going to do. And I'm going to do what he has called me to do. And God forms us and shapes us in that. Look, this is, this is so important. This is so important that, that when we are in pain, let's just make things really simple. We're going to do our duty. We're going to do the things that God has, has placed right in front of us today. Because what, look, there's there's this is going to save us from two um uh, really one bad reaction not two but one and that would be just quit on it be like hey i'm waiting i'm going to wait for god to fix this and so you just kind of phone it in you don't show up you um uh, you you become dissolute you can I, i mean people have told me different stories where sex becomes the outlet or drugs or beer um that's where people well, where where people turn, they, it, it's absolutely dissolute. Like, hey, God's got to fix this. Um, you don't show up as a father, as a husband, as, as a Christian man or citizen. It's just you're just shut down. And and Habakkuk saying, no, I'm not God. I'm not that, that. He doesn't go to that place. What he says is, I'm gonna do my duty. So it stops you from doing the wrong things. Like that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is it helps you to do the right things. And, and by the way, this is, this is a really helpful thing. Like if you're in pain, like you're not, you want God to fix something in your life, go be a dad, you know, for me, go be a husband, go, go be a pastor, do the things that uh, fake it until you make it like, <laughs> right. <laughs> or that, that's one way of putting it. You just, you just do what you're supposed to do. You, you carry out your faithfulness because you know that you have a faithful God. Yeah, and that's I, I don't want to dwell on this too much because it's going to come up later, Timothy. But but here, like the Lord, I I just keep thinking about this. The Lord made us wait one time, you know. And what did those what did those women do? You know, they, they the Lord was dead, and the women showed up at the tomb. I mean, it's think about that. Like they didn't. Wow, we're, we're talking about. They didn't phone it in. They didn't quit on it. They they were they were going to do the very best thing they could do, 
their Lord was dead. Well, at least we'll anoint his body. And they waited. They waited doing the very best thing they could do. And then sure enough, uh, there they were. The last comment I want to make is I, one thing that's really interesting about Habakkuk, and I love this in the Bible, really interesting, is his physical posturing in the book matters. We're told here that he doesn't take it sitting down. He's literally standing up. <laughs> and one that's for, for one, like when we've talked about it, it's because he's doing something. But the other piece of that is he is expecting. He's watching. And that's the hopeful piece of this. God is on the move. And he makes us wait sometimes, but in the most programmatic waiting we ever had in world history, it was only for three days. Right. I wanna I wanna make one other exegetical point before we move on into the later verses, and it's this. Not only do we have the metaphor of um of a soldier, in other words, like we talked about duty, we also have him going up it says i will stand at my watch and station myself at, on the ramparts so what he did is he climbed up high and he wanted to in other words um why do they build way up high because they wanted to be able to see and and, and for long distances like one one way to look at this would be he wants to gain perspective he wants to be able to look out and see the salvation of god coming and and so the practical application of that is that we always as christians need to get perspective on our suffering if we're going to wait well and and paul does that like the the kjv i want to just read this passage in the kjv and this is so helpful uh it says this um, for I reckon, this is Romans 8, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So he's reckoning it. Or the NIV, I think, the, correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, but the NIV says, for I consider, I consider. So so what's he doing? He's thinking it through. He's He's getting up on the rampart. He's getting perspective on present sufferings. And he's saying, uh, present sufferings are hard. Like, I'm going to recognize those. I'm, I'm not going to, like, split my consciousness and, and live in denial. Like, it's really hard. But if I climb up on the ramparts, what I see is salvation. What I hope for is something bigger. What I know is coming is God. And, and that's really helpful, um, not to minimize but to get perspective, consideration, a reckoning of, of what's really true. Yeah, and just to help the, our listeners begin to knit the book together, this kind of physical posturing is going to get its ultimate manifestation in the final scene in the book, where we're going to go up high again um, as a deer, and we're going to have to talk more about that. But But here... This physical posturing is significant, and and we've we've brought some of the theology to that for you now. So we part of waiting well, like it, I don't think we said this yet. You can you can wait poorly. <laughs> that should be pretty obvious, and we've given some examples of that. Like, and you 
all of all of us have been around people that who who weigh poorly. I've weighted poorly. All you do is complain and you're always hearing about it. Um, it's weighting poorly. Or you can wait well. Waiting well means that you wait as a soldier. You you get you get um you get and understand on a deep level your duty and you 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 get perspective on on your suffering. So you climb up on the ramparts. A second thing that um waiting well looks like is a runner. So we we should probably read these verses and then Jonathan, I want you to take us deeper in into these verses. But this is back chapter two, verses two and three. He says, then the Lord replied, Oh, this is this is so big. This is so big. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. There it is. There's the runner. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Well, yeah, exactly. I want to I want to bring you into that. And what I want to do is um, set you up because that's what the Lord is doing. He's he's setting us all up for what is um, the the cent the very central uh, part of the heart, the heart and the core of God, the center of the book, what becomes the the, the gospel kernel in the book of Romans um, is going to get manifested for us in two verse four but in verses one through three here you have all the setup for it all of the setup for it and so i want to i want to talk about that for a second and just place these verses um into the context of the book of habakkuk keep in mind that the book of habakkuk is it's a whole cloth it, it, it if we were going to experience it i guess you could say quote unquote the right way you experience it as just one big sermon, one big sermon. We're taking it in discrete portions. And um, just because the nature of our work requires us to do that. But if you actually take take the book apart, you can we can bring some lenses to it and look at the whole thing. And the first thing I want to just point out is that theologically, so here's one lens we can bring to it, theologically, we have now arrived to the center of the book. And you know that because the book opens with a theological problem. Judah has sinned. Then you have a deepening of the theological problem. God seems to be dealing with Judah's sin with even more sin. <laughs> and, and so that's the deepening of the theological problem. Um, then, and we just exegeted this with, with, with our hearers, is Habakkuk is saying, I, I, I don't know what to do with that except to wait on God. And he's he's waiting on God now. And there's there there's like theologically, we're all taking a big breath and we're waiting on God to say something. And if you and if you actually look at the words here deeply, what we have here is a, is what we would call an eschatological um, prediction, a prophecy here so this is what's going to happen at the end that's what it says so es eschatology is the, is the study of the end times and so habakkuk is saying that he's he's going to take us all the, all the way to the end so theologians call this being proleptic we we're going to know now what's going to happen later we're going to have it in the now what's going to happen later and so 
this this is this is the center of that. We're going to find this out. And then as you go forward in the book, then you find out that what God actually does is he is he he begins to solve one by one the theological problems. So one of the theological problems is Babylon. Well, Babylon gets what's coming to him. <laughs> we're and we're, we're going to look at that. And that's one of the theological problems to solve. And then the problem of Judah, the problem. So Judah, Judah was sinning. And that problem is solved because God is going to show up. And now I'm spoiling Habakkuk chapter three. And then you begin to see along the way that the final problem is solved. What's the final? The, the final problem is that Habakkuk is, 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 is troubled theologically. And what you find out is Habakkuk is healing all along the way. So in, in Habakkuk chapter 2, all of a sudden, because of what happens here in Habakkuk uh, 2, 1 to 4, Habakkuk begins to, in verse 14, he goes off with, with a liturgical hymnic, hymnic fragment. All of a sudden he's saying, wow, God. And so he's not mad at God. He's not nearly blaspheming God. He's saying, wow, God. What is up with those balloons that just came across? <laughs> so bizarre. What is happening? <laughs> I saw balloons. Is Zoom listening to us? Like, I think Zoom's listening. Celebration. I'm laughing my head off. Oh, wow. let's try it again. Let's try it again. Wow, God. No, he doesn't love you. He doesn't <laughs> love you. So then, um, in verse twenty, um, he gets he gets quiet and worshipful uh, of two verse twenty, and then finally, by the end of the book, um, you have neatly. Uh, very neatly, Habakkuk has solved his his theological problem. Now you can also track the book emotionally. This is this is, this this book has so much emotional intelligence. Um, the book opens with with great angst um, that rises, rises, rises until you get to the end of chapter two, um, and then Habakkuk, as we've said, he brings his angst to God. He's going to wait for God to solve that, and all of a sudden you see that emotional angst begin to ease when Habakkuk gets the answer, um, and that's going to be 2 verse 4, to um, his his spiritual angst and emotional angst. And like I said, emotionally, you can see him begin to rise and rise and rise and rise. He begins to praise God instead of criticize and almost blaspheme God. And then finally, at by the end of the book, he is, he is like, I, I like, I, I like to call this, he's a prophet of joy. You know, <laughs> nobody probably talks about that, like about him like that, but you can see emotionally, um, narratively, theologically. And I've tried to track that out a little bit for, for our listeners that we have actually arrived to the center of the book, the center of the book in, in just every single way, structurally, narratively, um theologically emotionally in every way we have we have come to the center of everything and and i i want to just agree with that and i want to i want to prove what you said just from from the text that we have in these verses um right away as we as we move into to to verse two it says then the lord replied and i just want to point out that that's the first time in the book that we get um, that kind of programmatic prophetic language that now God is talking before we had to figure that out without any clues from, from the text at all. But now right here in verse two, the Lord, like 
I call I say that he sanctifies what happens next. He he sets it apart. Like he he makes it holy as if to say, like, now this is the part of the book that you really, really, really need 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 to to listen to. The Lord is speaking. And this is where the book actually gets really prophetic in nature. Like Habakkuk is finally becoming the prophet that um that he needs to be, that he's supposed to be, and he's going to share um, what it says. And then uh, after that, like he, he he gets even more, like he 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 leans into it even more. He says, "Write down the revelation." So this is going to be like deadly serious. Like God is talking. Write it down. Make it plain on the tablets. Um, and well, the, you got to pause before you do the runner. You got to pause and let me do the tablets because that's important. Do the tablets. Yeah, that's a big deal. We, I, let's not talk about the runner yet. There, like, there, there's different understandings about how to, what does this mean that it's going to be make, made plain? It could be that it's just like use big handwriting. And and Luther's the one that actually popularized that, that understanding. I think he might have been the first to think, like what, what he's really saying is put it, really big so that like I'm on an East coast guy, put it on I-95 billboard so everybody can see it as they're driving by. Um, before Luther though, most people thought it was like, make it in simple language, like this eighth grade level or less so that it can simply cannot be misunderstood that it's just uber plain and, and maybe make it short and sticky. You're gonna talk about the tablets so you can so you can write it down on tablets, but go deeper with the tablets by all means. Well, I, so I want to just point out a few things about it, and then talk about a proposal of 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 what these tablets really are doing theologically. And and, and the first thing that I want to point out is you're right, Timothy. Here we're getting an oracle from the Lord, first one, first clear one with a a, a marker in the book. And the very first thing that that Yahweh talks about here is um, tablets, <laughs> the, the tablets. And and actually, there's a definite article on there, so it's you, you could translate it, make it plain on the tablets, make it plain on the tablets. And so um, the other thing that I just want to point out, and you've done, you've started to do that, is that these tablets are not only are the first thing that that Yahweh or the Lord proclaims. But they are the thing that they get surrounded by a burst of what I'll call verbal activity. I mean, you, what everything that you're going to do, you're going to you're going to wait with the tablets. Um, you're going to speak of the tablets. You're going to run with the tablets. Uh, you're going to proclaim the tablets. So um, the tablets, the tablets are a big deal. Um, the next thing I want to say about about it is just observe that these are tablets. <laughs> <laughs> um these you know don't think ipad you know this these are these are rocks these are these are etchings this is um so that, you know the lord is obviously saying the message that's going to go on them um, this is this is about permanence this is about solidity um this is about strength this is about um, something that is unchanging, that is literally written on the geology uh, of this, you know, the spiritual geology of this universe. So God is going to make it clear. 
Um, the, the last thing is it is tablets. And this is where we can get into some of the di different proposals that are out there about the tablets. I have, I have a proposal. Um, Timothy, I think, you, you know, the commentators have different proposals about them. Um, in the Hebrew, it is it is interesting to know that they're plural. You know, this isn't just write it out on a tablet. This is these are tablets. Um, they are they are plural. We know that from the Hebrew. I I so my, this is my proposal. I I do think one thing that's interesting about about the Book of Habakkuk is that it does when you look at it, and and we'll see this especially in Habakkuk chapter three. When you look at it, there are some interesting, some very very interesting. Um, parallels to the book of Exodus, and it does lean on the book of Exodus for a lot of its imagery. And uh, this, this could be, this could be an allusion to um, the tablets of Exodus, of, of Exodus, where Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments are given as a, as a covenant, as a covenant between um, God and his people. Those consequently get destroyed by sin, and um, Moses makes some new ones, very famously in Exodus chapter 34. And so this, this is, in a sense, the third set of tablets we get in the Bible. I, I, don't, I don't think that this is overstating that, to put this in line with um, those tablets that are coming out of, they are coming out of Exodus. And this is not just me saying that. Um, uh, I want to read you a couple couple commentaries on this. One is from a, a respected commentator by the name of Robertson. He says, these features apparently intend to recall the tablets of the covenant made at Sinai. <laughs> um, Jewish tradition, this is interesting. Here's what Jewish tradition says. We're, so we're thinking about the tablets here. Um, declared about Habakkuk this, declared that the 613 laws of the Pentateuch had been reduced to one by Habakkuk. <laughs> so he's going to put just one thing on the tablets. Um, and what's interesting, uh, you, this is, so let me be direct. Here's, this would be my proposal. My proposal is that these tablets are, are meant to make us, uh, they're at least an allusion to the tablets in Exodus and, and the new cut co and the covenant that, that we had with God. And this seems to be the promise of the new covenant written down, and that would be 2 verse 4, and we won't spend any more time on it because we're going to spend a lot of time on it later, but this is this would be my proposal about the actual, what is actually written on the tablets. The righteous person will live by faith, by his faith. The righteous person will live by his faith. And so um, if that proposal has any merit at all, I I think that you, you would get it from the Apostle Paul, who takes that statement and elaborates on it at, in book-long length in the book of Romans when he quotes it in Romans 1.17 and says, the righteous will live by faith. So this is, this is a very, very, very big deal. How are you going to wait? Um, you, you're going you're gonna to hang on to the tablets. I want to... I want to muddy the waters a little bit. Uh, and then we're going to come home with some crystal clear applications. 
there's there's some significant problems, exegetical problems with this text. And one of the big questions here is, and and this is for every listener to consider, is what exactly is being made playing on the tablets? What is what goes on there? And you gave one option, like you, that's why I call it a proposal. Yeah, <laughs> I think it, I think it's a I think it's a solid idea that what goes on the tablets is simply this, and we're going to talk about this in the next episode. Is the righteous will live by his faith by his faithfulness? Is the NIV? We'll talk about that next time. Um, but scholars have questioned that, like wh- what part goes on the first tablet, what part goes in the second tablet? It's really short, you know, all these different things. So. The proposals range um, in in um, consideration. Like, what what is this revelation that's being written down? Where what goes on the tablets? Some people propose that it's the whole book of Habakkuk. So that's one extreme. The other extreme is just um, part, not even all of verse four, but but four B, right? Or like, not even four B. What would be if if we break? Um, verse 4 of Habakkuk chapter 2 in the, in the three parts, it would be yeah, it would be 4b, right? It would be 4b. Yeah. That would be at the other extreme and then there's everything in between like um, maybe it's mostly chapter 2 or uh, uh, verses 4 to 20 or um, you know, breaking it up into pieces. It, so there's there's some mystery here, like we're supposed to get this crystal clear and we'll talk about how this is an energizing message but we actually don't know what the message is. It's, it's I, one of those things. It's like, what, it's one of those things. It's, if you read it, like, just to, just to push, I'm going to push for my proposal a little bit more here. I think the, I think we, we could say that the rest of the Bible makes it pretty clear what the big message is coming out here is make make the argument two, make the argument i'm open two verse it. two verse four and that will we will have to make the argument in our next episode but two verse four is the it's it's the verse it's 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 the central verse in habakkuk there is no doubt about that everything hangs on it we already made that argument and then as as we go forward in the bible um and we look back retrospectively in the bible we find out that the idea that the righteous live by faith it's it's first of all abraham abrahamitic it's it's mosaic for that reason um moses is proposing this this abraham the father of our faith and then going forward with paul who's who's so good at at clarifying god's word for us is going to take take the book of hebrews does the same thing everybody's taking habakkuk 2 verse 4 and they're saying this is it. This is this is the verse. This is the one. This is this is what we're hanging all of the everything. Everything's hanging on this. I I agree. And if if I was going to expand the words that go on the tablet just a little bit, it could go up to verse nineteen because I really think that the rest of chapter two is so healing, and we'll we'll get into that. And so I wouldn't have a problem if someone said it also includes the rest of. Um, or most of the rest of chapter chapter two. Uh, I did yeah, want to also make this then, point. Yeah. This is and this is a really significant point. And again, I'm leaning on Luther here, and it, I agree with him. I think Luther's right. What what Luther does in in um, Habakkuk two uh, verses two and three is he he gives it a, a Christocentric uh, focus. The NIV 
he argues that the NIV, the NIV thinks that what's lingering and what, what you're waiting for is this revelation that what God has said is going to happen. And what Luther said is like, no, 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 back that train up. Um, it's not talking about a it, but a he. Though he linger, wait for him. He will certainly come and will not delay. So what he's, what you're waiting for is Christ Jesus. And I love that Luther Luther does that. The, the Hebrew is a bit ambiguous. And, and so you have to kind of um, make an exegetical um, conclusion. Are you waiting for it or he? Luther thinks it's he. And he will certainly come. And we can trust that Christ will come. And so as a result of this, like, as you read this, what what the spirit is, and here we want to move into, into some application, like what does it look like to wait well? It's going to mean that you're going to wait with the word, and it's going to be um, it's the metaphors as a runner. Like, and especially if you hear that message about Christ Jesus, it's going to seem like a, a long time. It's going to seem like it's a delay. Like here in New York City, it's like, is the bus ever going to come? Is is it the G train? We call it the, the ghost train because it's, it's the G train. It never shows up. Like, what do we do? Well, Habakkuk says you run, <laughs> which means your your heart's on fire. Like, as you wait, you're, you're saying to yourself, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And so it gives you, your heart isn't sort of dead in the water. It's like, as you're waiting for the coming of Jesus, you're running. It gives you spiritual energy uh, until he does come. And, and I love that. Like, it's, it's, it's not a small thing that it says, so that a herald may run with it. Like, you're not, you're not walking. You're not, you're not sleeping on the job. You're, the message is so powerful, so life-giving, so... Um, Oh, I'm running out of words. So um, beautiful that it, it it gets you up every day, and you're like, "Thank you, God, for another day." I'm still waiting, but I'm I'm running through it. Yeah, that, and again, like I love that you're getting into the emotionality of that. One of the one of the ways we can know that we're not waiting on Christ. It's not that's not beating in us. And Christ talked about that when He talked about His own His own coming, which you're referencing here, is um, when the worries and the troubles of this life begin to take more dominance in your heart. Um, then, then the promise of Christ, and um, that this calls us back. You know, it really does call us back when I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that. Um, the the way to deal with that is to um, speak Christ to your heart. This isn't going to go on forever. And uh, did you want to talk more about that, Timothy? Otherwise, I was going to move into uh, build on what you're saying in another direction. I was just going to give this illustration. Like there was a little while ago where I I started into a, a TV series called Manifest, and the passengers disappeared and uh, from a plane flight. And it was years. They were just gone. And there was this married woman who was like, oh, my husband's gone. She gave up waiting on him. So it was, 
and she starts dating this other guy and it's just this big disaster because he comes back he comes back and now there's two guys and it i i identify with those shows too much so i had to stop watching it it's like <laughs> but the point is clear right like if you don't wait well you're gonna move on you're gonna get distracted by by other things and waiting well includes hearing this message that's been written in tablets and that's been made plain it's something that energizes your heart jesus is coming he's come once we he he's faithful to his word he will come again that yeah so so last thing i want to say about it is and i, I just want to point this out to our listeners there's 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 an abundant tenseness that's going to come in your waiting and so this is where i want to have a lot of compassion um, a lot, you know, a lot of us do live with anxiety. A lot of us do live with the worries of this life. Um, and there's 10, we know that Jesus has come again. We're struggling. And so there's, I want to identify with that just a little bit here. Let's just listen to this. Um, listen to verse three. There's so much tenseness in the verse. The revelation awaits an appointed time. Okay. It's coming, right? God's God has it all planned out. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. I mean, listen to that for a second. So this is a big eschatological promise. We heard that. But then it says it will not prove false. Why does it say that? Why does it say it will not prove false? Listen to this. It continues. It says, it, it, though it linger, wait for it. <laughs> In other words, same kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's really going to come. You're going to feel like it's not going to come, but it's really going to come. Keep waiting for it. And then it does this a third time. It will certainly come and will not delay. Why does it keep saying? See, it's saying the same stuff over and over again. You're going to feel like it's not going to come, but it's going to come. I want you to hang on for it, even though it feels like it's it's lingering, it's tearing, it's not it's not getting there. Um, so there, and it, and it does it a third time. Why does it do that? And it kind of reminds me of of Shakespeare, where Shakespeare says, "The lady doth protest too much, methinks." So you have this sense in which. Um, here the Lord is protesting against the way that he knows that we're going to feel like, Lord, it's nothing's changing. You know, Lord, nothing's coming. Lord, life just can. And so the Lord is speaking right into this. And sometimes I think what happens in life as Christians, we're hanging on to these promises with our fingernails. Sometimes we're, we're in so much pain and agony. And, and the Lord is saying, no, it's really coming. It's really coming. Hold on to this world. Uh, or hold on to this promise um, with your fingernails if, if you have to. And the way that you do that, and, and I think this is helpful, is that here the Lord is saying, I want you to trust um, this, the, this revelation that's going to be written on these tablets. I want you to trust this. And what I don't want you to do is trust your present circumstances. In other words, what Christian, I want to put this another way. Christians believe in, in the future. We do not believe in the present. We think that the present is passing. And we think that the future is permanent and does not pass. And sometimes what we have to very actively do in our Christian lives here in this passing away of life is we actively disbelieve the present. Actually, I don't know if anybody's, if, if you ever never heard this before, before, I, I think this is true. Believing in the present is actually despair. 
And there is, I, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, there's a certain comfort and despair and, and people grab onto it. Like when you hope, hope is painful because it's hope. And it's easy, sometimes it's easier to say, it's not gonna get better, just whatever. Eke out a little bit of life now. And when you do that, then then you have this, this um, dissolution life that you've talked about before. So you just, you, you give up, you, it's sex, it's alcohol, it's, 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 it's whatever, you're just trying to eke out a little bit of life now. Um, and that's, there's, it's a, there's a certain horrible comfort in, in despair. A certain and and you and you can grab onto that as a kind of faith and lots of people do, lots of people do, that I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna medicate I'm trying to be okay and they're believing in the present. But what Christians do is we we disbelieve the present and we actually think the future, God's future, is what's permanent. Um, there's there's beautiful Christian writing about this. J.R.R. Tolkien. He wrote about it like this. I want to read it. There, peeping among the cloud rack, above a dark tor high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land, and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Beautiful literature. The Apostle John was better. And he said about Jesus that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so in the, uh, in the end, the light wins. The light is permanent. The light is forever. And darkness is a, is a passing thing. And that is our hope. We believe that's the permanent thing, the real thing, the forever thing. Nothing troubling, nothing dark ever is. So, like, if we could kind of bring this conversation to a close, like, part of what waiting well is, is that you wait as a runner. And what motivates a runner, like, if you're in a marathon, you and I have run marathons, is the hope that um, the suffering that you're going through, like in mile 20, you know it's coming to an end. You know it's coming to an end. And so you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And actually, as the suffering becomes more intense, your hope increases because you know that you're getting closer and closer and closer. And so it's it's sort of this um, uh, I, like invert, inverted relationship that as, as the suffering becomes more intense, so does your hope. And um, so we, we wait well in hope as a runner. If you are moved and you want to support this ministry, please go to www.thenote.com.